Welcome to Pharma Talk Radio. I'm Valerie Bowling. I'm pleased to share a panel discussion from the 2019 POD Partnership Opportunities and Drug Delivery Conference about defining the value proposition and supporting business models for scaled, connected health drug delivery products. The panel was moderated by Kevin Dean of Philips MedSize and included panelists Takeda's Daria Mehta, Roche Genentech's Paul Upman, Bright Insights' Paul Schultz, and Teva Pharmaceuticals' Amir Zur. The 2020 pod will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. Enjoy the podcast. So we're just going to do some quick introductions and then dive into it. So we only have about a half an hour. Uh, I'll start out. My name is Kevin Dean, uh, Executive Vice President from Phyllis Medicize. Uh, I run a group called Front End Innovation, which looks after uh, all the work that we do in Connected Health as well. Hi, everyone. My name is Dehera Mehta. I'm a Director of uh, Connected and Software Medical Devices at Takeda. And thanks for joining our session. Hi, I'm Paul Upham. I'm the head of smart devices at Roche. Hello, everyone. My name is Amir Zur. I'm the head of product and quality in Teva Pharmaceutical. Hi, I'm Paul Schultz, uh, commercial development for Bright Insight. Great. Uh, so the premise of this, this session is really if we look over the last two to three years, um, we've seen actual connected health solutions hit the market. Uh, so we've had the, the device combination that, that my company did for uh, the Bayer Beta Connect system. Uh, we had the Otsuka Abilify uh, unit with the Proteus technology. Uh, more recently, we've had the Teva Digihaler hit the market. And there have been several things, particularly in respiratory and diabetes, where we've seen add-on technologies um, going in through a different regulatory route in a 510K submission that have hit the market, um, all doing some level of digital technology and connected health. Um, but I think it's fair to say that we haven't seen any of those systems really scale so far. Right, so I remember sitting in the audience um, at a conference earlier in the year, uh, listening to David Van Sickle speak, a uh, little fireside chat, who he's the CEO of Propeller. And he said, you know, his biggest frustration is he's been in the business for over 10 years, and realistically, they've only been hitting about 100,000 patients in their system over that period of time. Um, and we think about that and compare it to the level of medicine that you guys are delivering to the market, and it's a, it's a huge differential. So although this is really interesting technology, we have yet to see it move significantly from pilot scale to uh, you know, real volume scale products. Uh, so I think that's where I wanted to start out the conversation is to ask the panel, um, what do you think the barriers are to, from your company's point of view in looking at systems that move up from that pilot scale to real volume scale? Daria, do you want to start out? I can start. So a uh, few of the things that uh, we are looking into and uh, even to software as a medical device type of uh, environment, the uh, biggest thing that we are actually seeing is how from one country to the other and expansion as we see a pretty huge amount of uh, roadblocks, not in just sense of the regulatory submissions and everything, but as well as uh, seeing in a more sense of the data strategies of each countries, as well as the cybersecurities and, uh, and then privacy and all, whatnot. So 
it, it, those are the, some of the hurdles as well as uh, uh, going to our own management and uh, discussing about the value proposition of, uh, of it. And then also, is that generating money or not? Is that a revenue positive, revenue negative? Or sometimes it's more often the very helpful technology, but how can we uh, commercialize it? Those are the, some of the challenges. What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I agree with all of that. I think, I think for many of our programs, it's, we're still at a point where we're trying to understand what the right product market fit is, um, and it's not necessarily the same in every market. Um, it tend, for us, it has tended to be easier uh, to start with software. I think uh, we can learn and experiment and iterate faster with standalone software solutions as we think about connected devices. Um, then we have to be really clear with ourselves about the value proposition that we're serving with that connected device because the connected solutions in and of themselves deliver zero value. Um, and it's probably negative value because they cost more. Um, and the value really comes in what is the design of the patient user experience, the clinician user experience, and, and how have we engaged with payers and those who are going to reimburse for these products as part of describing that complete value prop. I think that's where we're seeing uh, a lot more focus and effort. Okay. Uh, Amir. Yeah, so, so I think that if we're looking from the market perspective, um, it's very difficult for a small company just uh, to take innovation and taking enough money and time going through the whole journey. Uh, you need to have uh, a lot of patience uh, into this journey with the FDA and regulatory. So it's part of the big farmers to push and to invest uh, enough into the market in order to create the market. So for one end, it seems like uh, if you're looking in the software industry, when it grew up, it coming from a lot of startups, and then it became like a few corporate company, now it's starting the opposite. So the big farmers are playing a big role in these uh, initiatives, and uh, I think that uh, one of the main challenges is to create uh, uh, the right market to open the channels, uh, to make sure that the market is ready, because currently, uh, the market is not ready to get this uh, new product, uh, nor the patients that are not used to use this uh, technology as part of the treatment. So this all is uh, part of the journey that we are dying to do with the products. Okay, thanks. Paul? Yeah, I agree with everyone here. I think I'll uh, just think about it in a different perspective, which is what are we unlocking? Well, we're unlocking new, new data sets, right? And, and what is the value of that data? Um, and what we found is, uh, and maybe some of the hindrance of the adoption of the initial platforms is looking at the intended use of the data as it relates to patient risk. Um, and, and a lot of the initial platforms were looking at uh, lower risk intended use cases, which ultimately limit the, the value and the adoption. Um, so what do, I, what do I mean by that? If you think about what, what we're doing now is, you know, we're capturing data from these connected uh, drug delivery solutions and maybe presenting it back to the patient and the provider, and then they have to do something with that data. Um, so that's a low risk and potentially a lower perceived value use case and lower, low risk to the patient. Now, if you look at the opposite end of that spectrum, um, there's really exciting things that you can do with that data. Um, you can take that data from the connected device um, and potentially predict whether that patient needs a dose or whether they're going to have an adverse event um, as a clinical decision support algorithm 
um, or you could even potentially grab that data from the device and automatically titrate the dose of that therapy. Uh, so a dosing algorithm, or, or even maybe pulling the data from the electronic medical record coupled with the data from the drug delivery device to triage high-risk patients. All of this in an, in an, an adaptive algorithm-based approach. And these are high-risk use cases, but higher perceived value for the patient provider and for the, for the payer, ultimately leading to higher adoption uh, across the continuum. And, and what, what people fail to realize is that to be able to do those higher-risk use cases coupled with a connected, complex connected combination product requires a platform that can support it, and it really boils down to the quality management system. Thanks. So just to probe on all of those things a little bit more, it seems like there is um, some combination, if you look at really strong products in the market, between a real market pull, right? Market adoption drives that. Um, or there's a position that you com your companies have about a willingness to invest. Um, if we tick on the market pull for a second, do, do you think that the market is trying to pull these systems in, or uh, are we too often trying to push them out to the market? Um, and I guess, Amir, I'll start with you. Is, you, you know, Teva's made a big investment in this space, so what's, what's the view from Teva? Yeah, and I also want to uh, refer to uh, what Paul said. I really agree with you, and I think that uh, basically it's very hard to translate data into money, because usually you have all the models in the pharma to translate uh, cost-effective and cost-consequences. So you have a treatment that you can come and say, okay, this is my ROI, and this is a clinical trial, and the data that I have collected, so you can translate it to ROI and investment to get the right budget. But for this kind of uh, product, you don't have the right translation yet because we don't have the experience. So it's a kind of enabler for collecting the data, for the ability to use the data after, but currently we are not even can create something that we can have any evidence. So I think that uh, I can say it's both direction. I think the pharma should invest uh, and uh, push the market by creating the awareness uh, creating dialogue between the HCPs and the pharma, working with the patient, creating new language and understanding the needs of the patient. And from the other side, we see the, uh, uh, the big interest from the market, uh, asking questions, a lot of uh, 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 trial and user studies that we are doing about having the real value for the patient. Paul, Chuck, uh, you want to build on that? Yeah, I, was just gonna, I think it's a, a little bit more of a push to the market, but I think right. they're seeing it from other industries that data, there's so much value in the data. Um, and uh, we had a, our first Bright Insight ecosystem event, Boston in May. We had 50 digital health executives from top biopharma and medtech companies there, and we polled them on uh, what is the value of, of digital and, and the connected uh, ecosystem. And 60% said that there, it's not monetization, they're just capturing the data to at least optimize outcomes and, and ultimately be able to gather evidence for payers. Um, and then the, only about 30% said indirect monetization uh, through differentiation, and then about, about 5% said, uh, said direct monetization. So I think it's, right. it's an industry that is investing knowing that there's going to be future value. I mean, really good question for these two then. So um, that idea of uh, how is it going to be paid for? So, if you think about what Genentech is doing and what Takeda are doing, do, do you, are you guys targeting reimbursement in the future, or do you think the income is going to come from different ways, maybe value from, from the data in a different fashion? Paul, do you want to go first? I think, uh, I think it's mixed. 
depending on the therapeutic area right. um, and the particular molecule in question sometimes um, and the competitive environment. Uh, so we have found examples where um, a software solution that helps uh, minimize drug wastage as part of a dose calculator was the key to getting reimbursement in some markets for the drug. So the drug had great clinical data, you know, uh, fantastic um, uh, means of helping patients with disease, but uh, was priced pretty high, had good value uh, even from a, a technology assessment perspective. But as soon as we launched software that helped doctors minimize waste of the drug, that story and demonstrating to payers that the software had this functionality was the key to unlocking coverage and reimbursement in some of those markets. And that's completely different from other cases where maybe the, the value is going to accrue to um, an algorithm that we have developed that's gonna help uh, do predictive analytics for um, helping predict uh, side effects or symptoms from the condition that are often associated with patients not taking the drug. So rather than focusing on adherence and compliance, which we've dramatically failed to move the needle on, um, maybe these data coming from the connected devices can supercharge some of the algorithms that we have in development. And, and that's going to serve patients themselves and doctors but it's going to be supportive and part of the surround of the offering rather than independently reimbursed or independently paid for, but it's very likely to improve the experience that a doctor and a patient have when they're prescribed that particular therapy. Thanks. I'm going to come back to something on that in a second. Daria, what's yeah. your view? So a couple of things. I guess I wanted to say when we go for our either the connected device or digital health type of a modeling, the th uh, uh, we actually use this 4P model, which is uh, patient, pr provider, uh, and then uh, payer, and the pharma, right? Yep. And then kind of in that order. So is the solution is geared towards patient, yes or no, right? Uh, the provider comes from everything, so such as the healthcare provider to in hospital to anything else, right, that provides the care. So whether the, the solution that we are trying to go for is uh, helping the providers or uh, does it, it have to do anything with the payer? And also at the end, like as a pharma company, are we getting this data and what is, uh, what is the value of that data even to get it? And I, I think I wanted to clear one notion that even we think about monetization and everything, we don't charge for the solution uh, to commercialize to the patient. It's more often that data has that value, right? So, and it could be not direct value to a pharma. It could be, even as Paul mentioned, it could be just patient and provider, and having that meaningful dialogue between that has the value. So when we start with the solution or think about, sometimes the solutions are not even um, in the digital or software world. It's literally one of our solution was to how can we reduce the blood draws uh, for, a, um, for a bleeding disorder patient, 
right? And it turned out that, oh, you know what? We can actually develop this algorithm that can uh, do reduce this whole blood draws to do the curve fitting on the PK curve fitting and go from there. So it very much, uh, as Paul mentioned, I wholeheartedly agree with that, is all depends on what is our use cases, what is, uh, can we meet anything, uh, being into the pharma, obviously one, the first thing you think is, can the solution uh, taken care by a drug itself, right? That's the first and foremost. Then if there are any places that is remaining on the use case, can you provide a drug delivery system that address most of the needs? And then uh, now anything remaining, can you provide it with the software solutions or not? However, that, uh, that philosophy is now changing in a way where, well, providing a drug delivery system or modifying a drug molecule takes longest time ever. Can we have a software which is literally a six-month uh, cycle to develop? Yeah. Can we have that as an front end? Can we provide those soft, uh, products and services to begin with uh, and basically have patient, provider, and all that ecosystem uh, be helped by that and then move from there? So, right. Paul, I, I, just, yeah, I just wanted to add to, to Dara's comment around the four Ps because it's the four Ps, but not just asking your questions, like you said, in a silo. Uh, as a pharma company, but in, in, as an ecosystem. And I'll, I'll steal a phrase from Yakil, who was Amir's, uh, the chief digital officer at Teva, which is uh, um, agile uh, evidence generation. So getting uh, one or two health systems uh, friendly for the pharma company, maybe one commercial payer, and developing the intended use of the product, the business model, and, and, and the and clinical workflow integrations and, and partnership. Yeah, so maybe I can refer to that. Uh, so you're totally right. It's uh, a process that we created that uh, we call it uh, PharmaGile, which is uh, the real combination of uh, how, to be, how to be agile enough and uh, give value on time to create ROI and to think about the business case and the value to the patient, but from the other side to go through the regulatory and all the constraints that we have during the process and still create a value to the patient. Because it seems like you have to find a balance between getting the regulatory constraint from the other uh, side, and then you have the commercial side because you have to show the money uh, for the ROI for the investment. And you, of course, have to think about uh, the value to the patient. And sometimes they are not working together, so it's a day-by-day -day journey for thinking what will be the best for the product. And we are trying to think of the patient as the most important for getting the value, even if we are not bringing the right ROI at the moment. Because this is opening the market right now. We are not expecting to get uh, the big millions right in the next uh, few years. Uh, it will take time. Uh, but meantime, uh, we should introduce the biggest value to the patient. So we should be agile. We should uh, work with the FDA and our, our last... Uh, uh, DGLR was approved uh, one year ago by uh, the FDA after uh, three years of uh, having the first product uh, uh, in the market. So, uh, Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, and uh, of course, you know the journeys that uh, we've been through. And this is what we are thinking about how we can still create uh, the big value for the patient because even if we have someone to pay for that, we have uh, all the engagement with, that we need from the whole uh, health, uh, healthcare uh, market. 
it's, it's still not enough because eventually the patient is the one that, that uh, eventually will decide if to keep engaged to the product or not. So, uh, because this is another uh, view of the product, this is a, a kind of consumer product. So, uh, this is always important to keep in mind the value for the patient. Thanks. So, I'm going I'm to be a bit of a tough reporter now. Right. Um, so, what, what I've heard is uh, Daria say that uh, they've got a software tool that helps patients in a particular example, but maybe isn't bringing money into the company so much. Paul, you've got a great example of what might be a, a small, I think the case is actually a pretty big case, um, but it's very tied to one disease area and it's not going to be uh, repeatable across other things. And, and Amir, you're kind of saying that um, we're betting in the future. Right? We're, we're, we're going to get the data in. And I think, Paul, you're kind of saying this as well, that if we start to get the data in, we'll find the money. You know? And it's a little bit Silicon Valley-like, and it doesn't quite match the realities of the pharma business. So I'd go back to my original question, which is, all those sound like really niche opportunities. Um, that doesn't sound like big-scale digital opportunities that we're going to be able to achieve hundreds of thousands or millions of patients. So is it just me not seeing the right stuff or, because this is what I think is hard to sell to our bosses upstairs. So let me quickly answer that question. It depends again, and sorry to repeat that, but <laughs> the reason it depends is from Takeda side of it, we are into the rare disease business. Even if I, my total, sometimes some of the diseases, my total patient, uh, uh, count is not even 10,000 across the globe, right? If I get 6,000 of them, that's a big achievement for us, right? Even it's a, it's a very small value proposition and everything. However, I, I guess what we are not seeing here is those 5,000 or even 6,000 patients are not literally in the United States, right? So for our software solution, it's, uh, we actually launched into 55 different countries, yeah. right? So that's the scale, uh, literally from a translation to a regulatory to all those hurdles that keep on coming and we have to keep on conquering each country by, uh, right? Yeah. So, so I guess even, even whether we, it's for one or many solutions or one for many patients, the investment or the, the, the effort that goes behind developing the solution is certainly uh, huge enough that we, if it is just used by one patient, it, it, it's not even a break even, right? But, for your, but for, for your area, maybe unlike uh, diabetes, right. uh, each patient is worth more. Correct. Exactly. So therefore, it can maybe it handle a little a bit more investment. even the, uh, each yeah. patient is. So. Okay. Oh. For me, I think it goes to how uh, pharma companies define return when we're talking about ROI. Um, I would say in many of our cases, it isn't about cash and revenue. Um, sometimes, and, and I think the ability to look at return as being based on getting meaningful data at scale um, goes to the company's perspective about data. Right. And, and that return could be um, getting massive amounts of data that power algorithms, that inform new drug discovery and drug development. And that might be sufficient in some cases. Um, and, it, and it argues for perhaps uh, uh, platform technologies onto which all these different 
value propositions and business models can live or hang. Um, but the way we define return on investment and the way we define the business case, I think is gonna be pretty heterogeneous. Um, but it doesn't mean that we can't scale single solutions. It may mean that um, a single set of technologies are gonna deliver value in different ways across the portfolio. So can I, I'm, I'm just gonna come back to, I'll go to you next, Amir, but I'm gonna, uh, so as in a supplier position, um, our business proposition is different, and, and I would expect Paul's the same, that um, we have to start to be able to turn this into some profit-making business. And so, in some ways, the business model in pharma says, well, I can bet long because I'm, I'm tying into an R&D budget, and that's going to be acceptable because it's a new source. I think for the supplier base, we don't have that luxury of waiting out 10 years until we start to see a return. So I don't know, Paul, would you agree with that as you guys look at, I mean, you've had a great investment yeah. in Bright Insights recently, but those investors are going to expect a return, I suspect, at a longer period of time than the drug companies take to develop new drug products. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I echo Daria's comments, I think Daria mentioned before, too, around some of the limitations on just getting through the country challenges, data localization, privacy, security, and regulatory. But coming to your question, um, it really, I think, involves not only the data to generate real-world evidence to justify reimbursement, which is the long-term play, but there's opportunities to drive immediate value for payers where they may buy into the value proposition of the, of the connected product, whether it's disease management, where we're providing real-time insights and they can actually enable their, their disease management programs, or value-based uh, contract adjudication, so leveraging these solutions to help them with value-based contract um, care. And then and the other one is, I think where we'll talk about it if we have time, is being able to um, offer patients the opportunity to get discounted health plans in exchange for access to their data um, and doing that in a way to, to drive value through, through this connected ecosystem. Thanks. Amir? Yes, so I really agree with uh, both polls <laughs> around <laughs> me. So uh, actually we started the journey of uh, having digital because we all know that we have value. And we are all trying to search what is the value and what will be the first step. So we started with a different uh, portfolio, like a large portfolio, uh, injector, 3D printers, and uh, any digital that you can think. We did user studies. And eventually, we, we picked the, the right group that are, uh, is the most needy. Uh, the asthma and the COPD patients they, according to our studies, they are not using correctly, 50% uh, of them uh, not having the right technique, not talking about the adherence. So actually, we have a drug in the market, but from the other end, we have a lot of exacerbation. We have billions, like I think $60 billion per year in the US, just cause of uh, asthma and COPD patients. But we are not having, uh, we, we don't have the direct communication with the patient to help him how to improve it. And by this product, by DJLR, we actually now have a direct, we can really improve the outcome. We can show him how to use uh, appropriately the technique. Uh, we can give feedback. We can uh, create reports that he can use it to show the doctor and connect the whole ecosystem. We can have a program with the HCP so they can all be aware of what the patient is doing or not doing because this is like a gap in the system. So we can really help to the patient having the same drug that we used to have for the past uh, 60 years, but now we can really improve it. So this is a big benefit, and I agree, it's not only uh, money and ROI, it's also the benefit. And the second portion here is actually the data. 
our only uh, uh, grail is actually having the exacerbation prediction that we collect the data and by the usage and the pattern by analyzing that and we did some trials around that 64 and 65 and uh, those uh, uh, trials showed us that uh, we have a good chance to create prediction, a good prediction and analytics to help the patient to manage better as treatment. All right, thanks. So I, I'm sure we could go on all day, <laughs> but we're, we're out of time. So thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed the podcast from the 2019 Pod Drug Delivery Conference. The 2020 meeting will take place October 8th and 9th in Boston. For more information, visit theconferenceforum.org.